a little bit about the book of Matthew. Uh, actually, I'm interested in, we're going to talk mostly of Matthew chapter 2, but um, we need to get through one <laughs> because of the background in there. Uh, if, um, so Matthew wrote a genealogy of Jesus from Abraham until Jesus, the Messiah. And so um, the reason he did that was to assure the Jewish people that he was the Messiah. And uh, so Matthew wrote all this, and, um, and, and, and Matthew offers indisputable claim that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the legitimate heir to David's throne. While Genesis 5 highlights death and the wages of sin, Matthew's genealogy emphasizes that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So, um, so Matthew's list from Abraham to Jesus emphasizes God's faithfulness over about a thousand years. So born of a woman, Jesus was indeed the very son of God. So if you remember the story uh, in uh, Matthew 1, uh, Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married, but she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Matthew clearly states that Mary's child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth represents both the humanity and deity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Mary's, Mary's pregnancy uh, created a serious crisis for Joseph. You all remember that. And so God intervened and communicated directly to Joseph with an angel. And the angel also appeared to Mary and announced... Um, her situation, and also that um, the name of, of uh, her son will be Jesus. And the, the, the name Jesus points to salvation from sin, and the name Emmanuel points that God's presence of God's presence with us. So, so God became man to enable sinners to live a new life. And I remember uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, he always said, um, deity invaded humanity. I'm trying to remember all this. Eternity invaded time. Yeah, think about all that. And royalty invaded poverty. I thought that was really kind of a neat uh, explanation of the whole situation there. So, uh, so God keeps his promises. We know that. And at the right time, in the right time and place in human, human history, the, the Son of God became man. So God revealed his plan to Mary. He reassured Joseph and told him what to do next. You may not understand the whole plan of God or you and your life, but he will faithfully give you what you need to take the next step. And that's what he did to Joseph. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So the costly steps of surrender and obedience, what is God asking of you? And will, will you trust God with what you can, can't explain or understand? Mary said when the angel appeared and told her what was going to happen to her, she said, I am the servant of the Lord, May your word to me be fulfilled. 
And so God will build your faith and give you everything that obeying him requires. And God's power accomplishes what we cannot do in our own human strength. So that was a quick synopsis of chapter one. <laughs> okay. So um, I recently have uh, been working through um, Matthew in, in Bible study fellowship. So um, this is fairly fresh. And so I thought chapter two would be a really great chapter to go through because it has some unusual things in it. And um, I, I borrowed a few things from our, our uh, teaching leader. And, uh, and then we uh, had there's a lot of stuff in our notes and stuff. So I'm just going to go through the, the verses and we're going to talk about some of the stuff that happened. So in Matthew uh, chapter 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that was born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. So we have the time frame. So it's after Jesus was born. Uh, we don't know exactly how long. It might be a month or maybe a year or two. We don't know exactly. But he tells us the location. Judea, he mentions King Herod. And uh, there was more than one King Herod. But this was Herod, King Herod the Great. So if he wasn't so great. He did, he did build a, a lot of stuff. He, he rebuilt the temple. And uh, he was a paranoid guy, and, uh, but he had, his family had connections to Caesar. He wasn't a true, uh, he wasn't in the line of David or anything like that. He was, a, he was, he was an Edomite who converted to, to the Jewish faith, proselyte, I guess. And so, uh, but, uh, but the Jews did not like him. And so, uh, because he was not, an ethnic Jew, and because he was uh, not of the line of David, and yet he was king. And so he was despised among the people. He tried to win them over, so he built lots of stuff. And one thing about Herod, his paranoia was so bad, he killed his wife and two, two of his sons because of he, he, his fear that they were plotting against him. So, uh, so this is a, this is a pretty paranoid guy. So you can imagine what happened when these these magi came, these wise men from the east, and said, "There is a real legitimate king of the Jews that's going to show up." And where was he born? And so this guy went to the extreme of paranoia, and uh, and these were foreigners from the east possibly Persia, modern-day Iran, and they were scholars of their day, and they uh, might, serve, might have served as, as uh, advisors or priests to the king, and um, they were astronomers to watch the stars for heavenly signs, and by God's sovereignty, they saw some sort of star, and they knew it proclaimed the birth of a new king in Judea. How did they know? Maybe they read the numbers. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And the other, you know, God made it known to them somehow. So what, how, do, how do these people come from Persia? Who are they? Well, these, these kings, they say they call them kings. 
uh, think about, I was thinking about their journey and all of the stuff that they did. They, they traveled about between 500 and 1,000 miles, say 700 miles, to find out this new king, to worship the king, to give him gifts. And how did they know all that? And um, what was the deal on this mysterious star that came up? There's a, there's a video on YouTube, and it's, uh, the segment's called The Star of Bethlehem, and, and it's uh, starofbethlehem.org is a possibility, a theory, that a prof and professor had, and he did, this, he did this movie, and it showed a star. Now, they have, uh, in astronomy, they have software that will take you back to any time in the, the life of the Earth that, you know, I don't know how far back it goes, but it went, went back at least this far. And so this guy from uh, A&M, he, he mapped out, he went and ran this software way back to when Jesus was, you know, born. And there's a couple stars that kind of merged because of their path. And he goes and he, and it's, it's a really awesome uh, story. But uh, his, his, uh, his website is starbethlehem.org, and it's really fascinating. It's just another idea of what might have happened and how, how they saw this star. And, uh, but this is certainly an unusual, ha unusual happening, and they took the trouble to go this distance to find this, this, uh, this king this new king. And think about this. They had valuable gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh, which were valuable at the time. Still are. And um, you wouldn't just be traveling with three camels, you know. We don't know how many people were on this, this entourage, but I would imagine there were quite a few because we don't know, you know, if they were carrying valuable things. They're could be gangs of thing, people that would try to steal it, and so they had to have enough people around to protect them. And so I was thinking that for us, I was thinking that 700, say between 500 and 1,000 miles, say 700 miles, and uh, back in those days, I heard it from previous uh, scripture that people would travel about 16 miles a day, which would be a month of travel to get to Jerusalem. So, um, so what are you willing to do for the Lord? And um, will we go wherever he leads us? And no matter how hard the journey, what holds us back from what we, he wants us to do? Fear, self-centeredness, apathy. Uh, when I face these questions, I realize how far I have to go on this faith journey, but the good news is that God is patient. He never leaves us. He gives us what we need when we need it, forgiveness when we fail, guidance when we're lost, encouragement when we're down, whatever we need, he is there for us. He gave these magi a star to follow all the way to Jerusalem, and naturally they stopped by, uh, by the palace in Jerusalem and asked, where is this one born king of the Jews. Now, our paranoid king, <laughs> um, Herod, 
he knew he wasn't really had the qualifications for the king of the Jews because um, he was not on, on the line of David. So he was really paranoid. So let's read the next four verses. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes or of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So notice in verse 3, it notes that Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem. Well, of course, the Jerusalem was Jews. And um, so it makes you wonder why the whole, all of Jerusalem was troubled. Uh, verse 4, Herod wants to know about this new king. So he calls the people, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law all together. And uh, these, are the, these are the Bible scholars of the day. They knew scripture inside out and had memorized it. So when Herod asked him about what they knew about the Messiah, they quickly retrieved from their scholarly brains uh, the passage from the prophet Micah saying that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, practically next door from Jerusalem. So now... You kind of find it kind of strange that these all these scholars and stuff weren't jumping at the bit to go with them and find out what's going on, and um, especially if it's the Messiah. And maybe they didn't know. Maybe you know the, the the king asked them about where the Messiah was to be born. They may not have known about these magi, possibly. But even if they didn't, you'd wonder why Herod was asking the question, and. Um, and the, the scholars have been waiting all their lives for the Messiah to come. So why didn't they do something? Well, we, we don't think they did. They didn't seem to give a second thought about it. And this brings up the application type of question is, um, knowing the Bible is great and it's important, but if it does not affect our hearts, um, and, or change our thoughts and actions, how much good is it really done? When you, when you read the Bible to seek to know Jesus, knowing about Jesus is important, but knowing Jesus is life-saving, knowing, knowing him personally. So the next two verses, uh, then Herod, he had privily called the wise men at the little private session inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Well, Herod finds out that the star appeared. Um, he wants to know how old the child is. So he directs the Magi to Bethlehem and instructs them if you, when they find a child, that I might too go and worship him. He was lying about that, right? He wanted to get rid of him. And I think it was an indication that Herod knew that Jesus was the real king. And worrying about a little child uh, sounds like it's kind of nonsense, but to him it was uh, a major thing. And then Magi found a, a supernatural star all that way. 
made him really paranoid. And um, to spe specifically to that location. So, um, so let's go to the next uh, four verses. When, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, a star, the, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of, the dream, of, of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. So they find Jesus and experience joy and worship. Uh, their worship is followed by the presentation of these, uh, these gifts. And, and then God warns them, don't go back to Herod. And think about, think about this. Um, the star proclaimed the king. And he gave them evidence that they willingly followed the star. God gave them evidence. He confirmed this through the prophetic word location of the king, and he further led the Magi to the place where Jesus was. And God gave the same evidence to Herod and the, and the rulers, and they re, re, but they rejected it. And when faced, talking about the scholars, and when they faced the, the choice to embrace the king, they chose poorly. And on the Magi, on the other hand, they worshiped the king, and that's the choice that we have to make, is will I seek out and worship the king, or will I reject the king? Um, the birth of Jesus rocked the whole world. It's a uh, it's turning point in history, and as our earthly calendar was divided by Jesus too, B.C. and A.D., um, some embrace him, some reject him, and our re reaction to King Jesus is the defining moment in our entire lives. We cannot ignore him. We can't claim, and we don't know, we can't claim we don't know about him. He's taught, and we're, he, Jesus was so amazing. He, he came and, you know, anybody did anything against the king off of their heads, you know, and Jesus came to love your enemies, and this completely turned the world upside down from that perspective. People just, all the stuff that Jesus told them, um, it just didn't make sense to them. And uh, so, but Jesus made, made himself known uh, to the entire planet. People today, people who lived centuries ago and people yet to be born, there's no place on earth where he does not make himself known. For some, some it may be a star, others a vision. Some may brush with death and 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 make it and see the miracle and uh, miracle of a newborn baby um, creation itself which is the ultimate the question is to you and me is how will we respond to him will we submit to his authority and bow down and worship or will we would reject him as our true king every every decision that i make Every day reflects this choice. 
Will I spend time with him in the morning or spend, spend it on trivial stuff? Will I fight the temptation or give in? Will I proclaim his name to people around me or keep quiet? This is, this is uh, one of my failures. You know, people need hope right now. And um, I, studied Dan I studied Daniel last, last, this last summer. And um, it, was, uh, it was pretty amazing. And um, if, I'll, I'll cover that another time. Joe does the best job of that. But we don't have that. I don't believe we have that much longer. There's, there is a way to figure out, there, and nobody knows the day nor the hour, but there is an interesting point that you, as you go through Daniel, and that um, it's possible that between Jesus' coming, you know, from, from the time uh, Adam and Eve sinned to Jesus' coming is 4,000 years, and then Jesus came at uh, 32 A.D., April 6th, maybe. And, uh, and if you take another 2,000 years, you, you see that's when the, uh, end of the, the end of the world is. And that's when Jesus comes back the after the tribulation, but you don't know, you know when that's going to be. But there's a way to estimate it. And if you, if you back up, the last seven years, you got 483 years plus seven years, which is 490, which is what it was, it was prophesied. And then you back off seven years, it comes out 2025. So it's interesting. There's nothing to back it up. But I also noticed that when I was reading Daniel, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, when he created, he did his triumphal entry, into everybody was cheering, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's when that's when um, Daniel predicted exactly when that would happen. And but the the reason that nobody knew exactly when because Ezra predicted when the the start of the temple when that when that would build. But but uh, in Daniel it explains from the time Jerusalem is started rebuilt to the time that Jesus' triumphal entry is. And that was the 483 years. So that, that actually is a possibility. And anyway, I don't get too much into that, but uh, pretty incredible timing. And 2025 isn't that far away. Could be. Could be 2032. Could be even further. We don't know. But we do know that God sovereignly protected Mary and Joseph. And um, the king, this new king, is the main character in God's plan to save the world. So while Herod was not about to allow a new king to live, God was not, not about to let him die yet. Till the right time. So in the next three verses... And, then, and, and when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. What happened in Egypt? That was not a fun place to go. That's where they were in slavery for 400 years. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod 
will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I will call my son. I have called my son. So another warning, this time God warns Joseph very specifically, it's not safe. Herod wants to kill a child. So do you think, you think Joseph had to wait a while and think about this before he moved? No, he moved immediately. And when God tells us something, he wants us to move immediately too. He wants us to, to listen to his word and to move when, we need, when, when he calls us to move. So Herod wanted to kill the child, and he, he need, you need to uh, leave and escape Egypt, is what the angel told, um, what God told Joseph through the, name, through the angel. The mention of Egypt, um, again, was reminiscent of slavery, so it was kind of unusual. Joseph would have thought, I'm sure, to go to Egypt. Uh, so God tells Joseph uh, to go to Egypt, but uh, in the sovereignty of God, Matthew records this event to show that God's protection of his son, as well as to invoke the thoughts about Jewish slavery, because just as the Jews were in slavery in Egypt, so we are in slavery, enslaved to sin. And God, as God sent Moses to free the Jews from Egypt, he also sent King Jesus to free us from slavery. In verses 14 and 15, obeys the warning. Joseph obeys the warning and flees immediately during the night. And uh, we see in another Matthew's fulfillment of, of uh, prophecy from Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. It's Hosea 1.11. So the next three verses, when Herod saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from the two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, saying in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentations and weeping, great mournings, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were not. So Herod was furious about being outwitted by the Magi, and so he was determined to kill the baby Jesus. And so he had this Messiah complex and uh, wanted to snuff out his competition. And uh, so they can't identify who Jesus is, so they killed every male in the age bracket, in that age bracket, in Bethlehem and surrounding areas. And Herod didn't realize was that Jesus was the true king of kings and that God would sovereignly protect him. And of course, uh, we can't ignore the devastating impact of Herod's, Herod's mass murder in the area around Bethlehem. But we have to trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that everything that happens is in his control. If something happens, he is in control. Even now, we think about all the oppression and things that may be happening uh, in our lifetime. We never thought we'd ever see it. But one thing that will comfort us is that we know who's in control. God's in control. So 
he has reasons for everything that happens. And since he knows everything there is to know, he can use everything that happens to bring about his perfect plans. And we all know Romans 8.28 that tells us that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. From our perspective, things may look bad, but he sees the big picture and knows the best. I remember a story. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I heard it from a sermon or what, but guys picking up some wounded in Vietnam from in a helicopter. And the hospital's over there. So he takes off and he's heading to the hospital and it's life or death for these people. So he's trying to get there as fast as possible. And all of a sudden he gets a, he gets a call on the radio, turn left so many degrees. So he does. Turn right so many degrees. And he, what they didn't know is there's a plane way up high and he's seeing all these, the enemy with guns ready to take out a helicopter that was going by. And so, you know, it's like God, he sees everything that's going on. We don't see what he sees. So we, we can't even uh, project what he's going to do. So, so we don't wrestle with God. We just trust him. And we may not always know the answers, but the things we, can, we do know is we know that God grieves at the results of sin we know God's justice is perfect. We know that God does knows exactly uh, what those parents felt of those children that were killed. And um, and and you know he 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 watched his son die on the cross as part of his sovereign plan to save you and me. And the only way to save you and me was that. And when we can't understand the circumstances around us, we may trust and rest in the sovereignty of our perfect God. In this next section, um, five verses, God brings a family back to Judea and he repositions them in Nazareth, fulfilling another prophecy. So verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that um, Archelaus did not reign in Judea, or that he did reign in Judea, uh, in, in the room of his father, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. And he turned aside into the parts of Galilee and came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So Herod dies, and another angel came to Joseph and told him, and so he obeys God, he, the, the, and um, that he should go to Nazareth instead of Bethlehem. Herod's son Archelaus is now in charge in the in the other parts of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, and so uh, he has Jesus go uh, over to uh, Herod Antipas. Is actually the other the other Herod. 
And you wonder, what did Joseph hear about Archelaus? And what he heard was, this is what Josephus wrote, so he may have heard what, what had happened, and there was like 3,000 Jews that assembled in Jerusalem to take down an a, a idol that was placed in front of the temple. And so Archelaus, even though he wasn't fully king yet, he ordered the troops to come in and, and kill all those people. So they killed 3,000 people at the temple in Jerusalem. So uh, that word spread, and so Joseph um, had wise counsel to, to uh, go to Nazareth. But um, so our, our sovereign God protects us, and while he does not always protect our, everything, you know, our, our sicknesses and um, death, what he does do is safeguard his people for eternity. And later in the book of Matthew, it says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. So the protection God offers his people is a guarantee that he will live with him forever in a place where there is no sin, no disease, there's no murderous lunatics or terrorists, there's no more death or suffering or sorrow or anxiety, a place where there is only good, the place where King Jesus reigns. So we have seen God's sovereign hand throughout this chapter planting ancient prophecies in his word about the new king, enabling this great star in the sky to get the attention of the Magi, uh, guiding the Magi to where Jesus was, thwarting Herod's assassination plot, and guiding and protecting his family. And I wondered, uh, think about God's sovereignty. After all, it's, um, I believe he's sovereign. Then I can rest in the knowledge that he is captain of the ship. He is in control. He knows that his perfect plan will come about no matter what circumstances are. And I can know that I am firmly in his grip wherever he will lead me. I remember, if you remember my uh, uh, testimony a while back, just as I was ready, getting ready to accept him, a car goes by, it says, Jesus is my co-pilot. It was Satan's way to try to distract me because I know Jesus had to be my pilot and I didn't want to give up, give up my rights and my own control of my own life. But I knew that I had to do that. And um, so this was just a distraction. <coughs> Jesus is my co-pilot. And um, so we, we're, we're so glad that God is in control. We thank him for his sovereign protection his all-seeing eye, his eternal love, his oceans of forgiveness, his unlimited power. So we, we thank God that Jesus Christ is the sovereign king of the universe. So can you make a decision to trust him no matter what? I had an opportunity one time to um, decide to trust him. So... I had this project. I was a project manager at a, a oil and gas company, and I was supposed to take on this one project, and I did. And it was a project we'd never done before, 
And uh, we, would, we were going to get fined if we didn't get it done on time because the client needed it by a certain time. And, you know, these clients are, uh, have ships that they rent for $250,000 a day or, even, or more. And this particular design was always done in our UK office. But the UK was, our UK office was booked up. They couldn't do it. So we said, our management said, we've never done it. Let's try it. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. So we were all on board. I was a project manager. And um, so they finally agreed to it. And I was, uh, at first, uh, we had to, first we had to find the right kind of steel. And we couldn't find it. So it was going to take a while for this project to be done. And so, well, we'd be in the same position we'd be in if we let the UK do it. So we, we, instead of type one steel, we went to a type two steel. Every time you weld on it, you change the stresses in the steel and you have to take it through a heat, heat cycle, heat treat cycle. So we decided to do it. So I talked to our vendor and he said, we don't have any priority in the heat treat people because we've never done anything with those people. And so we're going to have to wait our turn. So all there's a lot of welds in this thing. So welding happened and uh, we were getting low priority. So we finally got through the weld cycle. And so um, I started getting worried. We aren't going to make the contract. We're going to get fined. And so um, I started getting knots in my stomach. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get an ulcer out of this. And then I thought of Otto Koning, the pineapple story. Why not give it all to God and let him worry about it? <laughs> he didn't have to worry about it, right? So I did. I decided. I had a, a Pastor Hubby actually had a session about trusting God on a week before, and I said, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to make my decision right now to trust God. I can see we're not going to make it, or I don't know if we'll make it, but God will never fail. So I'm going to give it to him. So I gave it to him. And uh, so, and I remembered uh, the verse Philippians 4, 6, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. So I did that, and um, so I, I, I communicated to our client the deal about the heat treat, and we had no prior, our vendor that we picked to do this work with did not have any priority there. So every weld, we went through priority. So I was, so pretty soon they started calling me every day because they were concerned. So they call me every day, and I, I tell them, okay, well, we're in this part of the, we just finished this weld, we're in heat treat, we got to wait two days to get, actually get the heat treat done, and then we'll start on the next weld. So we did that. So the, death, the deadline approached. You know, they were there on the phone every day wanting to know what's going on. So I told them, and I told them what welds we had accomplished and what, Heat treat cycles we had completed. And, uh, and then personally, I thought, I am going to trust God to get it done. And I'm just going to be excited to see how he's going to do, do it. Because I don't see how he can do it. 
But God, I trust, I'm gonna, I, I committed, trusting God no matter what. So the last came, last week came, and our client, uh, our client quit calling me every day. Wow, what's going on here? I wondered. So I said, well, he's not calling me. I'm not done. I'm not calling him either. <laughs> so we went on for about a week like this, then I couldn't take it anymore. So I called our client, because I'm supposed to be the, the liaison between our client and our company. So I called him up, and um, so he said, um, we didn't want to tell you this because we wanted you to get it done as fast as possible, but our client slipped his schedule by three months. So we're not finding you. They're not finding us, so we're not finding you. So just go get it done as quick as you can. So we had, we were almost done, so we had, you know, just a few more weeks left and we'd be done. We still had several months. So, uh, so I didn't figure out how the Lord was going to do it, but he did it. And, um, and so it really gave me more ability to trust God because I knew that no matter what happens, he will come through. He will protect us. And I will trust him more. And Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea. I will help thee, yea. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And I just thought that was such a great verse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, love you, Lord. We trust you. We need you so much right now, Father. And I know there's so many people out there that don't have hope. So, Lord, would you uh, give us, embolden us to um, spread your word. Tell them the truth, Father. They're not used to hearing the truth. We just pray that you'd give us the, the courage to tell them the truth, forgive, for, uh, forgo our reputation, and just uh, allow us to allow them to know you so that they can trust in you and hope in you, have hope again. And Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.